welcome to episode 127 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This week, my featured guest is Tim Barrett, CEO and co-founder of Gridware. Tim was named in Forbes' annual 30 Under 30 list of innovators for developing a 24-7 monitoring system that increases the visibility of potential threats along the power distribution line. The state-of-the-art system streamlines the health of the grid directly into the hands of those that need it most, utilities and first responders. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. Tim worked as a power pole worker himself in the field, evaluating equipment and searching for problems, including hitting each pole with a hammer to determine if there was termite damage. He eventually took on the extremely challenging EECS degree, that's double E, and computer science at the University of California at Berkeley and co-founded Gridware with his electrical engineering professor mentor. Welcome to The Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat, and I'm here with Tim Barrett, CEO and co-founder at Gridware. Tim, welcome to the Climate Champions. Thanks for having me, Lee. So my visit to Distributech this year was fraught with pain because I did get COVID, but I count one of the really good things that happened is that I met you. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great to, I guess, bump into each other finally. Yeah, we spent, what, an hour and a half talking? <laughs> yeah, I remember setting aside like 15 minutes on my calendar for us to chat, and I think you might have done the same. And then you just saw event after event after event happened in front of us and we were just talking enjoyed it very much yeah it was a good time i'm glad we got a chance now to continue that and have you on the climate champions yeah so with regards to climate change what was your motivating moment mm. it was saturday the 7th of february 2009 there was 400 fires burning around me in victoria uh, this is in australia that's where I originally am from. You probably know of it, but it's now called Black Saturday. During the Black Saturday fires, 1.1 million acres were burned. There were over 3,500 buildings destroyed and 173 people died. This is one of Australia's deadliest natural disasters in history. And I remember that the smoke was so thick that there wasn't really any difference between the day and the night. I spent you know, weeks caking my lungs in ash every time we stepped outside or even inside the house. And you know, I remember my social media feed filled with friends and friends of friends, mourning loved ones, people that I knew. Uh, this impacted me directly. And these were stories of people not only losing their houses, but they lost their spouses and they lost their children. It was really a heart-wrenching time, not just for me, but for Australia. This solidified for me that climate change was real. And shortly after that, I moved to California. I got married. And then eight years later, 2017, 
I went through it all over again. Five of the 20 most destructive wildfires in California's history, 10,000 buildings destroyed, 47 people dead. Again, all around me here in California. Uh, that was when I decided that it was my time to start fighting climate change. And, you know, then we saw 2018 campfire, 2019 Kincaid fire, 2020 glass, Zog fires, and then last year, 2021, Dixie fire. Now this year, Mosquito fire, Fairview fire, McKinney fires. Yeah. You give me chills in a bad way. Usually it's in a good way. Sorry. No, no, it's, it is what it is, right? It's, it's horrible and it inspired you. So it continues to inspire you. You mentioned losing people, losing spouses. What are your personal drivers now? You know, back when I was 15, I left high school. Uh, I wanted to work with my hands and I ultimately decided to be a lineman. Out on the lines, I got to learn how fragile the grid is. Also how important it is to us. But nobody really pays much attention to the grid. At least they haven't uh, historically. And all the fires that I just mentioned a second ago revealed to us a very intimate relationship between the grid and climate change. These fires were either determined or are suspected to have been ignited by the grid. And so this makes climate change personally important to me because it's caused an increase in the frequency of extreme weather events. And this ultimately stresses the grid beyond what it can handle. The grid's old, it's tired, and equipment failure happens during these extreme weather events. And it's the perfect recipe for catastrophic wildfire, especially in, in the wildland urban interface. And the reason why it's a perfect recipe is because you've got an ignition source from the power lines, which are usually near homes. You've got strong winds to spread the fire rapidly. And the final piece is fuel. Fuel's probably the, where climate change has had the strongest impact, increasing the probability of, of wildfires. It's because it causes these large weather swings. You've got bursts of strong rainfall, which encourage the vegetation to grow rapidly. And then it's immediately followed by intense drought. This is what we're seeing right now, year on year. And it doesn't have a chance to establish itself. So you've got these small branches that have grown very quickly and then they dry out. And so now you have dry, brittle vegetation everywhere across the state or the West or even across the country now. And it's just waiting for an ignition source. It's essentially a tinderbox. And so given this relationship, you know, the grid, climate change, and also how deeply I was impacted by wildfires, I guess I feel this deep sense of responsibility to be fighting this fight. I admire at how at such a young age, you're already in the fight to help the world. Again, it's, it's just a, an innate feeling of responsibility. I like to say I'm here doing what I'm doing out of necessity, not out of choice. I'm definitely not here for the fame and fortune. When you meet people that don't believe in climate change or don't understand the facts, how do you convince them otherwise? Climate change is broad. It's very difficult to, to try and explain everything. And so I think one of the most powerful ways to explain it is by 
by telling stories, stories that I've personally been impacted, stories similar to what I've just told you. Really, we can tie that back to how we, we've observed wildfires, the trend line of wildfires increasing over the past few decades. I think this is a really strong and impactful way to help convince people. But then I also generally speak to the bi-directional relationship between climate change and wildfires. And this is this is intuitive to me. And generally, I, I like to think that I can make it intuitive for other people. So there's no doubt in my mind, personally, that climate change is heating the planet. And logically, this would cause wildfires, more wildfires to occur, based on what I had uh, said a few seconds ago. But wildfires also contribute to climate change, not only because they release carbon into the air, but because they destroy the trees, which are sucking up CO2. And so it's this vicious cycle. And we have a lot of evidence to support and understand what we're up against here. And it's very difficult to, to argue against it. Can you explain what it is you or Gridware actually does to help mitigate climate change? I decided to found Gridware after I recognized that utilities have a huge need for more visibility on their equipment. Uh, and this could be filled with technology that we've developed for consumer tech. It never made sense to me that, you know, I'm wearing a smartwatch, I've got sensors on my wrists, I've got sensors in my pocket, and you can have an explosion which releases an equivalent amount of energy as a grenade exploding when there's a fault on the power lines and grid operators don't know where it happened. And I've been sent out on patrol looking for these events uh, and we just don't know not even when they happened, not where they happened, and certainly we don't understand why. Furthermore, utilities began to use planned shutoffs during these periods of extreme weather events. When they switch the power off, they lose their visibility uh, and they have to re-inspect before re-energizing. So we built a system, a device that mounts in the pole, it's solar powered, it's battery backed, it's always on, even during an outage. And so this means that the operators can see if trees or branches fall on the lines, if poles have fallen, if there's a general fault state during a windstorm, even during a shutoff. And this means they can send out repair crews with the right equipment to the right place and re-energize faster. But most importantly, we want to help utilities to stop fires from happening in the first place. You know, the system that we've built is able to observe these leading indicators to failure. You know, for example, you could have a woodpecker going at a pole for years before it's going to fail. You can have small arcs happening on, on, on splices or power lines months before they fail and fall to the ground and start a fire. If utilities were able to observe these in real time, then they could make preventative decisions. So ultimately, you know, as we migrate to clean energy, our societies are becoming more dependent on reliable power. And with the migration to EVs, heat pumps, uh, we're reducing emissions and we're fighting climate change. But we need a reliable grid to connect clean generation, clean storage. And so we're building gridware to give the industry these ground truth measurements from the grid so we can all make better decisions about where we prioritize resources and harden it against extreme weather. Yeah, I know the utilities, they've been working on it a long time. You talked a little bit about your background as a line person. Do you want to fill that in even more? Yeah, absolutely. 
so I, I dropped out of high school. I was a lineman. But then I, when I moved to California, you know, I, I got married and my wife didn't want me working on high voltage anymore. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I decided to go back to university. You know, I got an undergrad degree, a grad degree, both at UC Berkeley. Uh, I focused on electrical engineering and computer science. I've always been fascinated with electricity, I've always been fascinated with circuits. And after building them at the distribution level, I was obviously fascinated with electronic circuits. Uh, and then that moved into coding. So ultimately, I focused my studies on embedded electronics, which is a multiple disciplinary field exploring the intersection between computer hardware and computer software. And during my studies, I was able to learn all about distributed sensors, signal processing, and ultimately just building ultra low power intelligent devices, which can be deployed uh, in remote areas. And this served as a foundation for my core thesis or hypothesis that we can use as an industry low powered sensors to detect, locate, and most importantly, predict grid equipment failures. Have you had any setbacks along your journey? Hmm. I grew up in a small rural town in Australia. Uh, I grew up in a low-income family. I didn't have the, the same resources uh, that your average teenager growing up in Silicon Valley has. When I immigrated to California and went back to school, I didn't even know algebra. I went into the placement test and they placed me intro algebra. Uh, I remember going on Card Academy to, to try and get ready for my first class, I sat down at the desk and ultimately was, was blown, blown away by what I had to, to learn in such a short period of time. You know, I think it's really a testament to the amazing schools, the amazing, amazing teachers, tutors that I had uh, over the years that I was able to go from intro algebra to linear algebra in two years. Uh, and then I got a full ride scholarship to Berkeley. And so while I could look back and say, you know, I had this setback coming from a low income family in rural Australia, there were resources that California was able to provide me that enabled me to get a, a really solid education. I love it when the setbacks turn into actual success stories. And then my next question, of course, is what successes are you most proud of? This one's a difficult one for me. It's very difficult for me to take ownership uh, of successes because there are so many people that play a role in everything that could be interpreted as a success in my life. But I think, you know, if there's one thing that I'm comfortable expressing pride in, it's the team that I've built here at Gridware. And I haven't done this alone, but... It's something that makes me incredibly proud. You know, we're 17 people now. These are some of the smartest people I've had the pleasure of meeting. And they've decided to work on building technology for utilities. We always talk about how few people are in utilities and how we need to bring more talent to the utilities industry so we can innovate and build the clean energy future. And I feel like we're having an impact here and bringing people from consumer tech, from academia to work on this very, very important problem. Hugely important problem. And it sounds like you've had great success and are having great success. I'm very excited for you. I'm also very excited. Every day I, I jump out of bed. 
<laughs> May you continue the success. When you look at the Earth 10, 20, 30 years out, or the inhabitants of Earth, how do you think we're going to do with regards to climate change? I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to build a grid that's clean, reliable, safe, affordable. This is going to enable us to, to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels. And I think this is one of the most promising ways that we can reverse climate change. And I think we're going to do it. Gridware is an example of that. There's countless other companies that I get to meet every single day that are, have equal amounts of energy, equal amounts of momentum, uh, and we don't respond to hurdles. Uh, we smash right through them. And this gives me a lot of confidence in our future. You got engaged because of all the fires. Do you think we're going to make significant progress in time to keep things from getting much, much worse? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, it's interesting because the coronavirus uh, has had an impact on our world's climate change mitigation efforts. So practically for me, it's made decision makers much more accessible. You know, I, I've been able to meet with utility executives and then policymakers across the country in back-to-back -back meetings. But, you know, when you, you know, step away from gridware, ultimately it reduced travel. It gave us an understanding of what it would look like if we moved away from fossil fuels and transportation. But more importantly, the pandemic heightened everyone's dependence on a reliable distribution grid. You know, since employees were operating out of their homes, when extreme weather brought down the grid, it hurt the bottom line of the large businesses which are operating remotely. And these decision makers are incentivized now to focus on grid reliability upgrades, which advance the migration to clean energy. Do you have advice for people that want to help mitigate climate change? Yeah, run towards the hard thing. You know, the most impactful opportunities are often the hardest. Huge amounts of tenacity is needed to go up against the people who pull the strings here. You know, and they're not incentivized to make decisions that will help mitigate climate change. Do you have any questions for me? I think I'll throw that question back to you. You know, given all your experience in the utility industry, what's one piece of advice you have for me? If I only get one, I'm going to say vote climate change. Make sure the people that get into office understand what's going on and intend to do something about it because they have the ability to make a lot of change. We can make change, but people in office can make a lot more change than we can. So number one would be vote. After that, I just say make good personal choices. Get an EV if you can, put up solar if you can, invest in solar, invest in renewable energy if you can, waste less, things like that. I'm just stealing from everybody that's been on my show. Yeah. <laughs> and if I'm targeting specifically entrepreneurs like yourself, I think my biggest advice would be to stick with it. It's going to take a while, especially if you're working with utilities. They take a while to make decisions. A lot rides on their decisions because it could create outages or more fires if it's wrong. So it's going to take a lot. There's piloting stages. There's small deployment stages. Each utility wants to learn on their own. They don't care as much about what other utilities are doing. It's going to be tough. But it's worth it because not only are you building a company that's like your baby, but you're also helping the world. So stick with it through the tough times. I appreciate that, Lee. You bet I will. 
All right, then I'm going to wrap this up and I'm going to wrap it up with a wrap. You built a product that monitors poles and wires because you were inspired by the Black Saturday fires. It was horrible. It was certainly a fright. You saw no difference between day and night. Not only did people lose their houses, many of them even lost their spouses. It's tough when your clients are a utility. You're trying to give them a way that they'll have more visibility. You've built sensors that shout and they shout. They even do it when the grid goes out to reach success. You've got to reach your goal. It takes a lot of people. Everyone plays a role. If you're out there listening, we need you to bring all your energy run hard at this thing. Hey, I hope I'm not just wrapping the things that you said. I'm not a parrot. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Tim Barrett. Oh, that was absolutely incredible. And you did that in real time. Oh my goodness. I thought that you were gonna you know, absorb what I said and then, wow. Okay, Tim skips college to work the power line, moves to California, takes on the incredibly challenging EECS program at Berkeley, and co-founds a company, Gridware, that combines his engineering knowledge with his utility background. Not to mention his passion, born out of the Black Saturday fires, to do something big to help the world. I love it. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, please visit my website at privatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. Often, the advice people give to help with climate change issues on my podcast is to do something small or easy, Maybe meatless Mondays or something bigger, like for your next car. Whenever that is, get a hybrid. But Tim not only says to do the hard thing, but to run to it. Look, we've got heat records all over the globe. Fires, floods, droughts, hurricanes. Walking just won't do it. Let's all pick up the pace, get those running shoes on, and do whatever we can to help mitigate climate change. Thank you.